Hi, this is Megan Davis, and you're listening to Stories Create Me, a podcast that explores the stories that we tell that make up our present day and eventually are going to influence our future. Each month, I explore a topic with a special guest. The topic varies, but the sentiment is always the same. The stories we tell become our future. And so, won't you join us as this narrative unfolds? I just finished an interview with Aaron Foley, the chief storyteller for the city of Detroit. And one thing that really struck me about this interview was we talked about embracing change or change as being this inevitable part of life. And I think that my main takeaway from this conversation that we shouldn't be thinking about embracing change. We should be thinking about how we can show change, how we can strip back our stories so that we don't necessarily need to have an angle on it. And it's not about embracing, but rather showing and amplifying and understanding change. Embracing has this kind of a, for me, uh, this conceptual or particular feel where it's about loving it, holding it close. I don't know that you need to love it. I don't know that you need to have a closeness with it. But I do think that as we're moving into times that are changing more and more and there's rapid innovation and there's things around the bend that we would never see coming until they do. And it's not about embracing it necessarily. It's about showing the change to others who might benefit from understanding how we are understanding the change. So that sounds very convoluted, but it's about showing people the realities, the rawness, the universal struggles that we all have, and just explaining what's happening with the change. So I think in a lot of ways, what Aaron's doing with his work in the city of Detroit is he's showing how the city is reinventing itself, how it's innovating itself, how it's changing. And there's some people who don't feel as comfortable with the change. And there's some who are part of that change, that they're the new people, the new Detroit that's moving in and creating all these different situations that had never been before. And so what he's doing is he's finding these voices that have not felt heard and amplifying them and saying, let's just show other people how this change is playing out. And it's not about embracing. It's about stripping the stories bare. It's about the rawness. It's about reality. And I think that honesty has a lot of cut through. That honesty is what gets people to embrace not the change, but embrace the other humans who are just like them, who have the same thoughts and emotions and feelings and the same struggles that might look different on the surface. But when you really dig deep with people, our struggles are fundamentally linked by the universal aspects of being a person on this planet. And with uh, with that in, in mind, I invite you to listen to my interview with the wonderful chief storyteller of Detroit, Aaron Foley. 
I'm Aaron Foley. I am the chief storyteller here in the mayor's office at the city of Detroit. I also talk a lot about Detroit on panels and in talks and whatnot. And I've done two books about Detroit. So here I am. <laughs> and one was how to live in Detroit without being a, a jackass. A jackass. Yeah. <laughs> right. jackass. I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> nice. Um, so where did the title for that book come from? Yeah, how did that all originate? It came from the editor slash publisher that I worked with on the book. We were mm. going over, you know, the gist of what the book was about. And, and I just had a lot to say about how people were moving to Detroit and not really knowing, you know, how to, you know, how to respect the city and how to get around without offending people and stuff like that. And we were just going back and forth. And she said, well, what have we got of this? And uh, that's how it came <laughs> That's great. I love it. You don't forget that title. It's so memorable. Yeah. yeah. So let's dive a little bit deeper into that because that, you know, you connecting the stories or you right. connecting the people and you, you know, going, hey, guys, you know, you're moving here. You need to understand a lot more than maybe the little bubble that you've experienced. And mm -hmm. so I'm originally from Michigan. I live in Melbourne now. And you were just recently in Australia. Not, did you come to Melbourne? Yeah, I was in Melbourne. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I've lived here for quite a while. But, you know, being originally from Michigan, Detroit's always been <laughs> this really you know, what's felt like a very volatile place. Like there's always something going on in Detroit. And it was like, it's always a hot topic. Did you hear about what happened again? You know, it, it's always been this ongoing thing. And so I have my own ongoing collection of stories, but, you know, they're probably really outdated. And you're now this link. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how, how does that all work? Um, well, I sort of act as not just a storyteller, but kind of an editor mm. um, guy team that goes out and documents stories. So mm. I have two writers, two videographers and a photographer, and we just, you know, we brainstorm story ideas. We, we, we talk about, you know, what kind of images we want to show, what kind of stories we want to tell all about, you know, where is Detroit right now? What mm. are the things that we're doing? So we're kind of kind of a combination of everything. We're a combination of video, social media, regular posts and updates and whatnot, all with the goal of just trying to show Detroiters what they, you know, what's going on here. Mm. And, and also kind of showing like the world too, you know, because yeah. there's a lot of attention being paid to Detroit right now, but sometimes a lot of stuff can get lost in the shuffle. Yeah, I totally understand that. I had a conversation with somebody at a party a couple weeks ago and they were telling me about how they just been to Detroit a couple years ago and they're raving about Detroit. And they're like, it's my favorite city in the world. It's amazing. And I was like, okay, great. You know, like tell me about that. And you know, their perception was that it's like such a vigorous city, like reinventing itself. And it's amazing how people are, I guess, embracing change or innovation. I don't know if that's even a good word to use here, but let's just say innovation and, you know, how tough people are. And I said, well, yes, people in Detroit have been through a lot. And you don't get through all those things unless you decide, you know what, we're just going to do it. We're just going to. Right. You know, and 
but then they also didn't have they didn't have much of a historical perspective because when I was talking to them even about what happened there five years ago when mm-hmm. the city went completely broke. That was the last time I was in Michigan. And so mm-hmm. the city was totally broke and it was pretty much under martial law. And, you know, so coming from that point, was that five years ago or six years ago? Yep, this was the fifth year anniversary this year. Right, yeah. So she didn't even have perspective on that. She had no idea that that had happened five years ago. And so I think for a lot of people, Detroit feels like a place that's living in a moment constantly, like it's a new snapshot every moment. And when you say that you're the editor, you know, that's really about controlling the narrative or not even controlling their narrative, but creating the narrative as it evolves. Because that's what a narrative is. It is the editor. It's like, this is, this, this is what we need to stay aligned with and understand and, and push forward. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I guess, can we dig deeper into that as well? Yeah. I mean, one thing I'm, I'm cautious of is saying that, you know, we're controlling the narrative, right? Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, there are so many different narratives about Detroit. There's the comeback story. There's the Detroit is not coming back story. There's the Detroit is the same as it ever was story. And being that we work for city government, I don't think it's our place to try and control, you know, everything regarding a narrative. You can, like, a government can control what time a bus comes to a bus stop or what time, you know, garbage is picked up on the street. But something so fluid and something so abstract, like a city story, it's not something we want to control, but it is something that we want to add to, I guess. We have the ability to... We, we're in touch with different parts of Detroit that a lot of storytellers, a lot of creators aren't in touch with. Part of the reason why we do what we do is because there's, there aren't that many writers and reporters and creators telling stories about Detroit now as there were five years ago, as there were 10 years ago, as there were 15 years ago. But even though, the, even though there's fewer coverage about Detroit, um, the number of people that are, are here with stories to tell haven't gone anywhere. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people were going to community meetings and meetings with the mayor and meetings, other government meetings, and they were saying, hey, we really appreciate you fixing this, or we really appreciate you getting this back on track, but it still sometimes feels like we're not a part of the city's story. And when they say they're not a part of the city's story, it's because they're seeing all of the new development and whatnot going on downtown. But they're wondering, you know, when, when are you going to talk about this block club? When are you going to talk about this, uh, you know, this community organization or, you know, all the other new things going on that the community is doing? Mm-hmm. And so that's where we sort of come in as far as we don't just write about those community types of events. But it's always been sort of my mission. And when I did my book and when I did the TED Talk and all these other things to make sure that we don't forget about all the people that were here in Detroit this whole time, especially born and raised Detroiters, you know, the new millennials coming up. There's a lot of attention being paid to new people moving to Detroit, but not necessarily the people that have been here all this time. So we sort of like combine the best of both worlds, right? The ideas that I had and the ideas that the mayor had. And that's how we're here, is trying to not control the narrative, but amplify other narratives that sort of add to the whole, whole, whatever the narrative may be, you know, Detroit. <laughs> it's, a, it, it, it's kind of difficult to explain because 
Detroit is complicated. There will always be multiple storylines coming out of the city, but we just want to make sure that like, you know, some of the, some of the more vulnerable storylines, I guess, you know, the stories about, you know, our immigrant populations or, you know, the elderly black population or the Muslim population and stuff like that stuff that may not make it to like a mainstream level. It may not bubble up that far, but we have the ability to do that. So we do it on our website. It's called the neighborhoods.org because there's 200 and Detroit celebrates its neighborhoods. We have 209 distinct neighborhoods in Detroit. So this website is the neighborhoods.org. Okay. And we also have a cable channel. Um, all cities have at least one cable channel. We've got four of them here in Detroit, but the videos that we produce go on one of ours. So it's just constantly finding new ways to kind of have some sort of media platform where a, a resident of Detroit can readily see themselves instead of waiting to see themselves. Mm, that's really interesting because, you know, you're using the power of story to unite people. So when you make that choice, that editorial choice about the stories that you tell and the stories that you amplify, you know, the important part of that is that people look at it and say, okay, A, I can understand what's going on. So that there's, it's building that empathy so that a person who might not have that direct experience of the story that you're amplifying can go, yep, okay, I understand what's happening. But then the other side of it is, is the people that you are amplifying look and say, okay, great, we have a voice. There's somebody, not just me talking about me or my neighbors talking about us, but there's a whole nother level that this story is being pushed out into the world. And so when you feel that you have that voice and then you feel that you can be connected to others through that storytelling, that connection point, you know, then, then you are shaping a new narrative through that connection. But possibly it's very early in the piece. So you have to let stories unfold, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's part of this whole thing is we're, because we're learning so much as we go along. I mean, yeah, in a way we are kind of shaping a, a narrative, I guess. We are, we're kind of shaping a narrative that shows a fuller picture of Detroit, mm. I think. Yeah. A lot of the stereotypes about Detroit tend to center around violence and poverty and abandoned buildings and whatnot. And there's no denial that Detroit has these issues. You know, there's no denying that we have a lot of violent crime. There's no denying that our poverty rate is one of the highest in the United States. Hmm. And we have departments, you know, working to eradicate these things, right? Hmm. But there's still the question of who lives in between these narratives? Who lives in between, you know, this, this side and that side? Do they have a voice that needs to be heard? And we think, yes. Mm. You know, there's nothing wrong to me with this sort of community reporting that was lost in different publications years ago. There was a news, oh, there is a newspaper that used to have a community section and they would dispatch reporters out to the neighborhoods and just talk to them about, you know, kids getting straight A's and, you know, church mothers doing good work in in the community and whatnot. Mm. That's what we try and do too is, I, you know, send my reporters out or I send my writers out and I say, see what kind of good stories we can find, see what kind of good news we can find. Mm. Um, not to try to drown out or suppress or cover up some of Detroit's problems because they're always going to be here. But the question is, do we have to talk about 
just the problems. We have to talk about just the negative. And what does it do to you psychologically when you're just drowning and swimming through just constant negative stuff all the time? What if, you know, what if there was one place where you could go and, and not be so overwhelmed by that? I think that's the place where we could go. Yeah, and that, that is so important because if you just hear bad news, then you yeah. do project that, this like dystopian kind of narrative of, oh my God, what's, you know, things aren't going to improve or they're not going to get better or, or you know, that kind of, it, it's hope, it feels hopeless. But if you're amplifying these stories of good work, cool things, interesting people, interesting ideas, and it gives you another narrative to shape, and I like to talk about the future like it's Tinkerbell, you know, like when Tinkerbell and Peter Pan is, is dying or fading away and then everybody has to clap their hands and believe. And then Tinkerbell like comes back to life and everyone's like, yay, Tinkerbell's back. She's fine. And all we had to do was believe, you know, that's what the future is like for me. If you have enough people believing in, in something, it doesn't matter if it's a good thing or a bad thing, it will happen. Like you will, it becomes reality. If enough, if enough people believe in one thing, then it all of a sudden is what's happening. So if we have enough people believing in the good stories, then it makes more good stories happen because people are like, great, that's something I can join in on. That's a thing I believe in. That's something that I want in the world. And so, yeah, you, you know, it's, so you are shaping this new future or, or you're part of that process of creating that editorial flow of look at all this. This is, a, right. this, is a, this is actually reality as well. And it all goes back to, in my opinion, having a place where detritus can feel seen. There's a lot to be said about, you know, if I grew, if I'm from the east side of Detroit, I can see more people from the east side represented in the way that I know it. Same thing with, you know, other communities of color or immigrant communities, what have you, where, you know, representation matters. Mm. You know, that's a big driver of what I do. And it plays into a larger narrative about Detroit, about how the city is mostly made up of people of color or marginalized communities or, or what have you but also making sure that we don't feed into negativity about these communities. We don't just feed into the challenges or the issues that face them here on this platform. It's one thing, you know, to, you know, like I said, we can't deny that there are certain challenges uh, certain communities might face, but, you know, we have to find joy. We have to find something positive as well. And, and if everybody has a voice, Everybody has, has a story. This is a place where those voices can be heard and those stories can be told. Mm. We did a video a couple of months ago where, you know, we went to a really violent neighborhood and there's this kid who was uh, training for a boxing match and he lives near a lot of abandoned homes. And, you know, someday those homes are going to be torn down as part of the city's demolition efforts. But until then, we can't hide that. We can't Photoshop it out. You know, this is his reality. But he's still finding, you know, he's still sort of making something of, of himself regardless. And we want to profile those types of stories where people are making it, where people are finding their place in Detroit, finding their, their home in Detroit, and being seen in Detroit. Mm. 
And with your, you know, with your stories that you are finding and amplifying, do you find that then there is like a feedback loop of people reading that and getting in touch and saying, Hey, I have a story like this. Yeah. You know, people reach out to us through email, people see us at community meetings and whatnot and say, Hey, I read this or I saw this. How can I be a part of it? And we'll just say like, Hey, let's set something up. It's one of those things that connects people in a different way. Mm. It connects people with their local government in a way that hasn't been done before. Sometimes governments can be very cold and intimidating and whatnot. But when you have people saying, Hey, like let's use our cable channel or let's use our website to uplift and amplify a resident of Detroit that can help people look at their government in a different way. Mm. But also there's also, I think this can also be a tool for people to learn about different sides of Detroit. So the city is very large. The city of Detroit occupies about 140 square miles of land. And that's a, you know, that you can fit three or four other different cities that occupy a smaller landmass within the city of Detroit and still have room. Mm. So we classify Detroit as being on the west side, the east side, or the southwest side, three very distinct sides of town. But people on the west side know everything about the west side. It's kind of its own city. Same thing with the east side. The east side is kind of its own, and the southwest is kind of all its own. What we're seeing is if we put something out there about one side of town, we want, we want to encourage people to go learn more about it or go find out more. You know, that place will start to see more people from other sides of town go check it out. And they say, oh, we saw it on the neighborhood site or we saw it on TV. That, in a way, can help Detroiters just learn more about each other. We kind of get so stuck in our own zones for so long that we don't always go and see what the rest of Detroit has to offer. And we've got a lot to offer here. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And, you know, you're connecting people within their own city. So you're connecting other people who get in their bubble. It's like Melbourne's like that. Melbourne has the east side, the west side, the southeast side, north side, and they all have really distinct culture. And there's a river that goes through Melbourne and people, there's this thing like about crossing the river. So yeah. you know, people are like, oh, I never cross the river. I hardly ever, I hardly ever go to you know the south. I, I stay in the north or whatever, and vice versa. And you know, we have lots of publications, I guess, that would be in that neighborhood type of flavor. It's all about food, though. <laughs> Melbourne, Melbourne will cross you know boundaries for food, for good food. But <laughs> what you're doing is a lot more broad and a lot more. Um, personalized and that it, it really is just about exploring a person's life or exploring something unique that's happening so within a community that, that really could not happen anywhere else, right? So, you know, something that I think about when I think about the type of work you do. So the cities that people talk about a lot internationally mm-hmm. in the U.S., you know, it tends to be like your L.A., New York type things. What makes these cities really interesting is the stories that have come out of them over the years. So New York has a big theater scene and a massive film industry, as does LA. And they have their own types of movies they produce, so the types of cultural outputs have a particular flavor, right, for those areas. But it's that it's that those stories or those contents or or you know however you want to talk about it, music, whatever it is, that comes out of there 
that gives people all around the world this experience of the city. And they're like, yes, I have to go there because I loved, you know, I love seeing even stuff like Sex in the City. You know, people come and do like the Sex in the City tour just to see all the locations or Seinfeld or something. So these stories go out and then people have these ideas in their head and they start putting themselves into the stories and then they want to become part of it. And so what's really interesting about what you're doing with Detroit is you're putting this stuff, these stories out there and then people from other parts of Detroit are going, oh, wow, that's amazing. I want to become part of that story. And so they go and they experience it. But then on an international level, you're also helping with that international tourism and that people, I know a lot of people here that go to Detroit to, to study Detroit. To like, yeah. to like see, they're like, because these stories are getting amplified in such a way that they're so curious and they have to go find it out and they're, and they want to take all that and bring it back like to Melbourne or bring it back to different parts of the world. And so, and what you're doing is instrumental in, in that part of like, let's teach the world, but what can be done. Yeah. I mean, so Detroit being having the worldwide reputation that it does part of this too, is having native Detroiters tell their own stories. Right. So for many years, people have come to Detroit to, to try and translate our story, but they have often gotten it wrong. You know, they've missed a lot of important things or they don't have the right context or, or something is always missing. When we give, you know, when we turn the microphones and let them talk or just hand them the journal and let them write, that empowers people to kind of let them own their own voice. Mm. I love that. So have you seen Hannah Gatsby's special on Netflix? I don't know if you've heard of it or seen it. I've heard, I've heard of it, but no, I haven't seen it. Okay. So I won't spoil it. I won't go into, unless you, you know, I don't want to spoil it for you if you want to. Oh no, go ahead. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she, what I found super powerful about what she did, she basically got up and said, I'm not going to change my story anymore to please anyone. I'm not going to change my story anymore so that you will laugh and be comfortable with some of the humiliating things that have happened to me. So she's a a gay or lesbian woman. um, And she grew up in Tasmania where being homosexual was a crime until the mid nineties. So you could go to jail and she experienced a lot of, pretty horrible things, very humiliating and um, also quite violent. A lot of very violent things happened to her. But she, through her, you know, becoming a comedian, changed the stories a bit so that they were funny and didn't tell the real story. So she told the story that would get laughs. But she basically said, I'm not going to do that anymore. And then she told her real story. And while there was some there were jokes along the way and there were, were I guess, your, you know, your relief points where you could laugh. A lot of it was extremely intense and it was emotional. I mean, I was, I was crying when I was watching it. But what made it so powerful is she was just like, I don't care anymore. I'm just going to own my story in its entirety. The whole raw, almost un- unbearable at times story. And I'm not going to change it and I'm not going to apologize and I'm not going to make anyone here. I'm not going to do anything to change it to make anyone here listening feel comfortable. 
because that's not my role anymore. And it was amazing. And I feel like just in the world, people are able to embrace and amplify stories in ways that we've never been able before because we have so many more new tools available to do it. And now, you know, what you're saying, people, you're giving people the ability to tell their story as it is. You're not asking for an angle. You're not asking for a type of story. You're saying, we just want your real raw story. I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's been a learning process. People are not used to this because there's a lot of people who have never been asked to tell their story before. So there's, sometimes they hold back. Sometimes getting our interview subjects to open up a little bit is tough. There are some that are ready to go because they're just used to, you know, being interviewed or whatever. But no, this is just, it's been rewarding for us, for people to see us out and about or, or when we approach them and get excited. They say, oh, I've, I've been waiting for this. Or, you know, I've lived in this neighborhood for 30 years and nobody's ever talked to me about it. Those are the kinds of things that kind of get me going. We have one situation that I'm really proud of. I recorded a woman that lived in this neighborhood called Jefferson Chalmers. And Jefferson Chalmers is an east side Detroit neighborhood. It's very tight knit. All the neighbors know each other, but they're going through a little bit of, little bit of a tense time right now because other people have dis- discovered Jefferson Chalmers, people that are new to Detroit. And they're, it's a, you know, there's a lot of gorgeous housing stock there. So when it's close to bike lanes and close to shopping and all this type of stuff, people are moving into Jefferson Chalmers and not speaking to the neighbors. They're not, you know, respecting the community that's there. And so this woman, I recorded her and she just went on a tear about it. She was saying, you know, like how she raised her kids in this neighborhood and now she's got a grandchild and, and it's just tradition for people just to speak. It's, it's tradition for people to acknowledge each other's presence and whatnot or people to move in without respecting that culture of the neighborhood. She says it's very disrespectful. So we put that out on the internet um, as in the form of an audio recording and people identified with it and people were just like, I can't, you know, I, I relate. And then the woman called me, she left me a voicemail and said, thank you for letting me tell my story. Thank you for not altering my voice, but thank you for not editing it. And that made me really proud. I think I still have that voicemail. So, <laughs> <laughs> Saved for all time. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. So where do, where do you see this all going? Um, for us, you know, for the time being, it's sort of just preserving what, you know, it's, it's preserving kind of like the moments right now in Detroit's history. There will always be press releases and there will always be city council meeting minutes and things like that. But there are a few things where there's a natural voice. There's a few things where it's actually a natural narrative. And we're creating that. We're creating history. You know, we're documenting a certain kind of history in Detroit right now. And it's going to be looked at, you know, years from now, decades from now. Where, I mean, where would we like to go in the short term? I don't know. There's always like, you know, there's always bigger projects I want to do. And there's always more people I want to hire. But, you know, government bureaucracy, right? We can, we can only do so much with so little. Yeah. But for right now, we're just having a blast. We're having fun. And it's so, un, it's so unusual and so amazing that they're, they're saying, we're funding this. Here's some yeah. money. Just go out and actually talk to people. 
(laughs) That shouldn't be so mind blowing, but it is, you know, no one's doing it, but they should be doing everyone. Do you think every city, every like major kind of city should have some function like this? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of cool being the first one. If I am the first one, I don't want to step on anyone's toes, but (laughs) no, I mean, every city can figure it out. And if we can help other cities lead the way, then sure. Yeah. And when you were in Australia, you were in Gippsland. Was that, was that right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was in in Melbourne at the, what's the name of the big museum there? There's a, there's a, there's a couple kind of, what was the, was it the NGV? Like the art museum? No, no, I I went to the NGV, but that wasn't that one. It was the one near the Carlton neighborhood. Melbourne Museum. Okay, yeah, the Melbourne Museum. So yeah. I was there, and I was in, in the Gibson, yeah. Okay. And why why were you invited? What was the, the context of that? The Creative Victoria State Summit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the State Summit was held at the Melbourne Museum, and then Creative Victoria also invited me to a separate event that they were hosting in the Gibson. Mm-hmm. And then with the Gippsland, you know, with, with Creative Victoria and in, in the State Summit, the big one, it was mainly just what we're talking about now, like what I do day to day at the city of Detroit and whatnot. But with the Gippsland, it was it was a little more personalized. It was, you know, the Gippsland is going through a little bit of turmoil right now with on the economic level, and they've got a manufacturing base that's eroding away, just like Detroit went through. Mm-hmm. So I kind of talked to them about, you know, the similarities between Detroit and the Gippsland and, you know, what, what we're doing in Detroit moving forward and how we sort of bounce back from this and, you know, how we can relate. We can relate to all these different cities and all these different regions that have manufacturing and then they've taken some economic hits. And what does that mean for the whole town or the whole area and everybody that lives there? Mm-hmm. And so what was the impact or what was the takeaway you had from that experience when you're, you know, talking about or sharing bright stories with these people? The takeaway I had is that this is universal, right? The idea that we, we all as human beings relate to each other's stories. We can all learn something new from each other. It's a concept that can be applied anywhere. So a lot of people are just excited about the fact that like, oh, Detroit is doing this. What if we did it? Or what if my organization did it or something like that? I think overall it helps us get to know humans in each other on a, on a more granular level, Mm. I guess. Mm. And when you were there, did people feel hopeful? Did they feel a sense that there was a better future? Yeah. I mean, if Detroit has gone through the worst of it and, and is now doing all these cool innovative things. And I think people, (laughs) <laughs> to be a little bit helpful, but on a, I mean on a, on another level on a different note, yeah, I think that anything that has a level of humanity to it, where people can feel more close together, feel more bonded together, mm. then that gives people hope. Yeah. So the simple act of seeing into another person's life, identifying with it, and feeling reassured that we're kind of all in this together. In a sense? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we all have to feel something and we all have to feel for each other. If we can relate to each other on, on this kind of level, so be it. Mm, yeah. It's, it's so amazing. Sometimes when I'm talking to, to people, and this 
probably is predominantly in probably the corporate sector and talking to them about storytelling. And they're like, well, but how, you know, how do we measure this or how do we control how the stories are blah, blah, blah. Like there's all, it's all about like, how do we quantify, measure, move, understand. And I was, and I said, look, honestly, if you, if you try to get that finite about what's happening, you, you will destroy it. You know, if you're, if you're looking to create better communication or better understanding between how everything's working within your organization by um, like a system or method of measurement, it's just going to die. You know, it, it, the, so some things are so important that they can't be measured and you have to allow them to flourish. You have to let things go a bit, don't you? Yeah. I mean, you know, like I said earlier, trying to get people to open up is, was, is one of our big challenges. But once you do start to let go and, you know, take away that pretense, you know, it shows that people are flawed. It shows that people, we all have some, you know, battle wounds and scars and whatnot. But that's how we relate to each other. We relate to each other, and not just on our triumphs, but our failures, our, our struggles too. Mm. Um, and the only way we can relieve some of that is by relating to each other. As a master interviewer, or a <laughs> or a, some a, you know a person who's honing the craft of of understanding people on an empathetic level and getting these insights and stories, do you have a do you have a favorite way to open up an interview or, or a person or is there, yeah, tips? In Detroit, I like to ask people what side of town they're from. Mm. And then I try to remember a, a place that they may have gone up, gone to growing up or something like that. That really gets them going. I like to see when I'm interviewing, I mean, it comes so natural now. So I'm just trying to think of like, what are some of the things I do that get people to open up a little bit more? Do you want to try me? Do you want to interview me? <laughs> what would you ask me for, for help? <laughs> I mean, first thing I would ask, where the, the sweater you're wearing, where'd you yeah. get it from? I see the print on it. Yeah. So I got this on um, High Street in Northcote, which isn't far from where I live. And okay. it was, it's like from a small shop. A lot of it's local handmade stuff. But this, mm-hmm. this, this is not local or handmade. I believe this was from China. But I was like, that's just so cool. Like, everyone's going to see that while I'm walking down the street. There's no way you could miss this sweater. <laughs> <laughs> so I haven't been to Mel. I mean, I've been to Melbourne once, but High Street, that's the, is that the shopping district? Yeah, so okay. most, most main shopping districts will have, will be kind of like a High Street type name. It's from the British... So they have a high, most, the high street is like the main street in the U.S. Okay. Yeah. So when we talk about the relationship between Australia and Great Britain, does Australia feel kind of like, does Australia have its own culture or is it mostly borrowing a lot from British culture? Mm. So because I'm not Australian, I have, you know, an outsider's perspective on this right i would say my experience with being in, i have visited the uk a few times my experience with visiting the uk and living in australia is that there there's a lot of commonalities around uh, i guess a historical understanding of where things come from so they have a parliamentary system they share the head of state as the queen you know they're part of the commonwealth 
and there's a pretty pronounced drinking culture. It's very, you know, um, so people in the UK like drinking. They like to go to the pub six o'clock, like really, you know, drink, drink, drink. Australians are kind of the same. But as far as there's like Australia is a lot more casual. In the UK, people are a little bit more closed or they're a little bit more cautious about, I think, letting you in, especially in London. So I can see the roots. I can see the cultural roots. But yeah, definitely Australia does have, I think, a, quite a distinct culture apart from the UK. All right. So that's how I would get you to open up because you, I took you like down one road mm. and then I found a different anecdote. But that's how, that's how I would do it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you start local, you find a, yeah. a local reference point. Yeah. And then you start going into the cultural aspects of that location. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if I did the same thing to you and said, um, where did you have lunch today? (laughs) (laughs) Where did I have lunch today? I had lunch at a food truck outside of my. And what, so what's this food truck specialty? It's an extension of a larger restaurant called Union Street. And Union Street is kind of like this, uh, not a high-end bar, but like a it's a it's a nice it's it's right in Midtown. It's got a huge dance floor, but they have a really good menu for the kind of bar that it is. So they had uh, at the at this particular food truck, they had mac and cheese, uh, Brussels sprouts, barbecue brisket. It's a very abbreviated version of their main menu, but mm. the quality of food still still the same. Okay, well that that does sound pretty amazing. Yeah. And so you just walk out into the street and have like a kind of like a full like <laughs> right there. Nice. And so and then um what what did you have? You so you said there was mac and cheese and brisket. What did you choose? Yeah, I had the mac and cheese. Okay. Yeah, good choice. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> and so do you hang out at the Union Bar also? Is that like a place that you like to hang out or I do like hanging out there. I haven't been to there in a while, though. My uh, best friend loves that place. So he'll go there by himself. But <laughs> <laughs> He doesn't need anybody. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. So now if I get into the cultural aspect of it. So is that part of New Detroit? No. Union Street is definitely Old Detroit. It's across the street from Harper Hospital, which I believe is called Grace Hospital. Well, part of the hospital is called Grace Hospital at some point. And then there's a flower shop next door that's called like Grace Flower Shop. But no, Union Street is definitely, definitely part of a cluster of Woodward Avenue that is very old Detroit. So mm. it's a very, you know, it's a historic looking bar. It's across the street from the Garden Theater. Uh, no, it's next door to the Garden Theater. It's across from the Garden Bowl. It's across from a bowling alley, this outdoor space, the Magic Stick concert space, all of these different things that are very much a part of old Detroit. There's a lot of new Detroit kind of sprouting up around it, but Union Street is definitely a stalwart. Like people go there for like New Year's Eve dinners and like it's a big like Mother's Day type of place where like Mother's Day in Detroit is huge. People love to take, take their moms out to dinner or, or a nice brunch somewhere. Oh, and Union Street does have a great brunch. I, I should probably go there at some point, but um, <laughs> uh, no, it's very old Detroit. Okay. Yeah. So it's an institution in the city. 
Yeah. And so the food trucks are bringing that institution out into the, the other neighborhoods or other areas or? Oh, no, just downtown. I think maybe they'll have a food truck elsewhere, but they, like where we are downtown has a whole cluster of food trucks in, a, in one of the plazas. So they were there today. So that's where I went. Okay. <laughs> so we're kind of coming up to an hour now and I, I don't want to keep you on here you know, on forever, even though I'm enjoying this immensely. But maybe in closing, if there was something you wanted somebody to understand about Detroit, so let's think maybe of somebody who had never been or didn't know much about the city, what would that thing be? What would you like people to really understand? I think the one thing I would say is that there is a lot of new stuff going on in Detroit, but there's a lot of old people who have been here for long before the new stuff came along. And that when I say old people, I don't mean by age, like an elderly person, but just a lot of people who have been here. There's a lot of people who stayed through a lot of tough times and they matter just as much as all of the new people that have arrived in Detroit. Now, that's not to say that new people aren't welcome in Detroit or that there's a sort of a division there. But we have to remember that, you know, for every new person that's here in Detroit, you know, there's five more behind them that I've already been here and that we all occupy this space together and that this place belongs to all of us. Mm. And with these people that have been in Detroit for a while, what, what do you think made them stick it out, tough it out? Love of the city. I mean, nobody loves Detroit more than an actual Detroiter. You know, people believe in the city. People will ride hard for this city. There's a lot of people that left. That's true. But when you go, when people move to like Minneapolis or Chicago or New York or something like that, and they say, I'm from Detroit, they still, they'll never say they're from Minneapolis or anything like that. They'll always say, I'm from Detroit first. But the diehards that have been here for all this time, they love this city. Mm. And when I talk about Detroit, a lot of the things that people first think of is the music, is like, is Motown, is, you know, and, and sometimes they'll say, why... How did that happen? Where did all this amazing music come from? And I said, you know, I think it's a place that's had so much history as far as ups and downs and and changes. And it's kind of a city that's always been, it's been in a continual process of reinventing itself all the time. So you have all this people coming up against each other, had never seen each other before, or all these new ideas are constantly kind of flowing into the city. And it creates this kind of like creative explosion. And do you think that all the changes that are happening now, is there any new kind of cultural outputs or art or things happening on that level? Yeah, I mean, Detroit has always had Motown, right? But we've also got a number of um, cultural creators who are exploring other genres. So techno Mm. is another one of our big exports. But even things like, you know, we've got our own brand of street art. We've got our own brand of fashion that is sort of unique to us right now, but could be on a global stage. But there's, you know, word spreads through all these underground channels and whatnot. And people come to Detroit just to experience these things. People come to Detroit just to kind of experience our brand of hip hop. And then they book these shows over, the, you know, the rappers and hip hop artists here go and book these shows overseas because there's, there's a buzz around Detroit right now. So 
we're definitely in the business of creating culture. We're definitely in the business of spreading who we are to everyone. Mm. And that's all storytelling as well, isn't it? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. So thank you so much. Thank you. Oh. You know, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. And thank you to my guests on this episode. If you found this episode interesting, please share it with your friends and rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. I look forward to continuing the conversation on the stories that are shaping our future next month on Stories Create Me. Curious about how the power of narrative could work for you? Check out my business website, www.spendloveandlam.com. That's www.spendloveandlam.com.